Amazon in general historically has fascinated people throughout the years. Uh, missionaries, scientists, explorers, everyone has always viewed the Amazon as this mysterious, impenetrable, dangerous place. Um, and in many ways, it is exactly that. Uh, it's just so massive and so broad that it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it. I mean, one third of the trees in the world are in the Amazon. 20 plus percent of the fresh flowing water in the world is in the Amazon. Over 350 uh, indigenous ethnicities. I mean, it's just so massive. If it, if it was a country, it would be the sixth largest country in the planet. So when I decided to go there, I think what my my first impulse, I think I'm always trying to humanize headlines and I'm always trying to see the human aspect of places. Yo, Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring people. If this is the first time that you've joined our community, welcome. We are a community that spans 114 countries all around the world. We are like-hearted, like-minded in the belief that when we get better as heart-centered leaders, those around us get better too. I'm Ryan Hartley. I am the founder of Always Better Than Yesterday. We're based here in Wiltshire in England, and we are a coaching, consulting company. We're cheerleaders, and we host this podcast. We've been doing this podcast now for over four years. Absolutely love it as a way of sharing our heart and mind, and in doing so, hopefully leave you a little bit better than you were before you pushed Play. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. Today, on episode 143, I am joined by Brazilian uh, journalist, TV host Pedro Andrade. Pedro is based in New York. He has traveled all around the world with his work and his career and most recently he has returned home um, to South America. He has traveled the Amazon. In his six-part documentary, Unknown Amazon, Pedro asks some of the questions that um, are really quite straightforward on the surface, but the depths with which he has been able to answer those questions has been quite phenomenal, such as what is really happening in the Amazon. Um, it's a, a fascinating documentary. Uh, you'll hear more about it as I speak with Pedro in a minute. But, you know, I've watched some of the episodes myself and I just love the way that um, Pedro and his, and his colleagues have been able to humanize the people within the Amazon. I absolutely love that no matter how resourceful the Amazon is, I love that it always comes back to the most important resource will always be its people. And Pedro goes to some lengths to try not only an educate, but to empower the next generation with some solutions to some of the wicked problems that they face. So here we go, episode 143 with Pedro Andrade, host and executive producer of Unknown Amazon. Enjoy, my friends. Pedro, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, my friend. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you? Very good. I'm sure I'm probably not doing the um, the Latin in your name, the service it deserves. So would you do me the honour and the privilege of saying your full name with all of that Latin vibe? <laughs> sure. Uh, Pedro Carneiro da Cunha de Andrade. Oh, it just flows. I'm, I, I just my British accent would never do that full credit. I disagree. I love, love British accents, and um, I mean, in Brazil we speak Portuguese. I speak Spanish as well, but there is also other. There are other ways of saying my name down in Latin America. You can like roll the R a little bit more, uh, but the, the the real way the original way is Pedro Carneiro da Cunha de Andrade, but I've been in New York for 21 years, so I introduced myself as Pedro Andrade. <laughs> yeah, I love that. We, um, we're going to have a great talk about your, your most recent series, Unknown Amazon, but I'd just love to know the little bit in between, the, the journey from leaving Rio, um, what sort of things have you done in the world? Um, wow. Wow. Uh, this while makes me feel old, but it, it's been a long journey, a fun journey. I grew up, I was born and raised in a lower middle class family in Rio. I think I've always wanted to travel. I vividly remember my grandmother, who was one of the most influential figures in my life, asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I always said, I want to travel. And she was like, that's not a job. So like, I'll be a truck driver, a flight attendant, a pilot, anything. Um, and that's what I actually did later down the road. I went to journalism school um, and I ended up hosting the most watched, the highest rated travel show in Latin America for five seasons. That show took me to 50 plus nations. We went to places going through irreversible transformations. Those transformations could be political, could be economical, could be social, could be climate change. Um, I also hosted a political debate also for the Latin American market. Uh, I had done a couple of things uh, in the US, uh, but nothing as exciting, I'd say, as what I just wrapped up, what just what's airing now in the US, which is Unknown Amazon. It's a show about the human aspect of the largest rainforest on earth. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I live most of my time on a plane. Uh, it's different from what I imagined it would be. In some ways it's a lot more uncomfortable than I imagined. And in others is really the privilege of a lifetime. Uh, I wouldn't have any other way. Yeah, you've had some incredible experiences, even just in this short documentary that I've been watching. And what was the drawback to the Amazon? What was the drawback? What drew you home after 20 years? Um, that's a, a great question. I think I've always been fascinated and curious about the Amazon. And I think after visiting, well, in my life, over 60 countries, uh, I got to a point that I realized that, wait a second, I've been to the border of North Korea, I've been to Iran, I've been to Russia, I've been to, I don't know how many countries in Africa, and I still have not fulfilled my dream of going into the Amazon. But I think the Amazon in general, historically, has fascinated people 
throughout the years, uh, missionaries, scientists, explorers, everyone has always viewed the Amazon as this mysterious, impenetrable, dangerous place. Um, and in many ways, it is exactly that. Uh, it's just so massive and so broad that it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it. I mean, one third of the trees in the world are in the Amazon, 20 plus percent of the fresh flowing water in the world is in the Amazon, over 350 um, indigenous ethnicities. I mean, it's just so massive. If it, if it was a country, it would be the sixth largest country in the planet. So when I decided to go there, I think what my, my first impulse, I think I'm always trying to humanize headlines and I'm always trying to see the human aspect of places and situations. And that's exactly what I realized that even though I've been fascinated by the Amazon and I've been reading about the Amazon throughout the years, I had no idea who actually lived there. So we know about the political turmoil in Brazil. We know about the wildfires in the Amazon. We know about the problems with wildlife trafficking. But who are these people? Who are the guardians of the Amazon, for lack of a better word? I mean, I, I'm careful with these cliches, you know, the guardians of the Amazon, because quite often they're misleading. They are the guardians, but they're also victims in many ways. They have been. Uh, so when I pitched the show, I was like, I want to go down there and actually find what's relatable to us there, the humanity that I can, you know, that I can use in order to understand this, this place. And it, it was tricky. Uh, it was dangerous in many ways. I mean, when I pitched it to Vice, I mean, we were in the middle of a global pandemic and even for Vice that's known for its edgy mm -hmm. content, they're like, you're out of your mind. There are no hospitals down there. There are no, there's no help down there. You know, in order for you to go from point A to point B in the Amazon, it takes two days in a boat, four hours upstream in a canoe, uh, lots of tiny little boats with a landing strip in the middle of a green carpet. Uh, but still, uh, I said, I think this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Sorry, I think a loud motorcycle just drove, rode by. Um, I said, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. And after 76 COVID tests, and um, I don't know, like that was pre-vaccination. -vac so after weeks of quarantining, because God forbid you walk into the one of these indigenous communities with anything, you know, yeah. you could literally destroy an ethnicity uh so yeah lots of ups and downs but overall really eye-opening and really timely and urgent and in my opinion humbly very important for today yeah it's very very powerful i saw on one of your instagram posts you you posed this very innocent question what's really happening in the amazon and i guess you know what have you seen what is really happening in the amazon Oh, man, uh, years and years of mismanagement. Um, it's uh, a lot of people trying to profit without protecting the Amazon. Um, when you look around to look at our planet, uh, most countries have already done, you know, have already worked on their own destruction. You know, they don't have the amount of grain Brazil has. They don't have 
uh, the resources that the Amazon has. Uh, and I think starting the 70s, uh, Brazilian leaders, uh, infamously horrific leaders, by the way, they have decided the Amazon was simply a money-making machine. Uh, one of the episodes is dedicated uh, to you know, the ways in which we can profit from the Amazon and empower these communities and protect this place. Uh, but it takes effort and it's harder, you know. Uh, we also live in a globalized world. So for example, one of the one of the many causes of destruction in the Amazon is how much soy we have to sell to China, for example. The demand is there. Uh, China is growing. Uh, there's a lot of greed so the more soy they need the more forests we need to destroy and etc the same thing with cattle ranching uh the truth of the matter putting it very simply uh, when i was born one percent of the amazon as we know it had been destroyed now 22 percent has been destroyed if we reach 40 percent we're going to reach a point of no return and then it's just too late uh if that happens forget about you know, the weather patterns we're used to. Forget about uh, the temperatures we're used to. I mean, buckle up for more wildfires, buckle up for, uh, you know, less glaciers. Uh, uh, I think there is this misconception that what, ha what happens in the Amazon stays in the Amazon. What happens in the Amazon will impact just Brazil or just South America. And it's not true. What happens in the Amazon will have consequences globally. Um, so that's what's happening in the Amazon. And what I tried to do was to sort of uh, give a megaphone to these communities that are the ones that actually know the Amazon better than anyone and are the ones that are actually putting their lives on the line. So the show is sort of the series is divided by communities. And uh, in one community, we um, try to understand the people that live off of the river in the other community we go into uh i don't know we spend time i spent a week with illegal miners or with farmers or with isolated indigenous communities or with urban indigenous people uh, so i think after you watch the series you realize how diverse and how culturally rich the amazon really is and and there are lots of i think surprising um communities and ethnicities as well. Like one of the episodes is dedicated to the Quilombolas. Quilombolas are uh, descendants of slaves. A lot of people don't realize that uh, while 400,000 Africans were dragged to America in the 18th or 19th century, over 5 million were dragged to Brazil. So all of a sudden you go into the largest rainforest on earth and you have these pockets that reminded me of uh, Senegal, for example, that reminded me of Cameroon. Uh, and that really has shaped uh, Brazilian culture in general. So I think people will find a lot of voices and a lot of habits. Uh, they'll discover a lot that they didn't expect to find in the Amazon. One second, Ryan, I think you're muted. There we go. I'm back. I'm very, okay. very sorry about that. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, now I can. <laughs> That is the joys of having summer holidays and children downstairs starving me of my internet. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, I caught okay. the majority of that. And I, and I think 
One of the most powerful things that I heard you say in, in your episode is that um, as resourceful as the Amazon is, the most important resource is the people. And you talk about empowering them for generations to come. What are some of the solutions in terms of their empowerment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's tricky because they didn't ask for us to come in there. And that goes back centuries, you know. Uh, so for us to now try to teach them how to manage their land, it's a, it's a tricky equation. Uh, but I do believe that nowadays there are ways of supporting brands that are more careful, that are more conscious, that are more generous, uh, because I think for a long time, you know, people just sent their own people to the Amazon, extracted everything they could from the Amazon, left, and then the ones that were there before are left with the leftovers, you know, they're left with just destruction. Um, I think nowadays I see, uh, let me put it this way. I feel like in order to treat an illness, you need to diagnose that illness. And I feel like it has been diagnosed. Um, I also feel like there is a generational gap. I feel like young people, not just young informed people uh, in urban cities, but young people in the Amazon, they sort of have that refreshing, um, I don't know, attitude of like, we can save the world, there is still time, what can we do? How can I get my hands dirty and make a difference? Uh, so when I went down to the Amazon, I, I knew I was going to have tough conversations. And I knew the situation was really complicated, but I was determined to find hope. And uh, that's where I found hope. I found hope uh, meeting people that were determined to protect these people and meeting people that understood that without them, we couldn't save the Amazon and meeting people that were victims in the Amazon, but they were still hopeful enough, you know, and yeah, I think you could say Amazonian dreamers. Um, I think that's the way that everyone can help, everyone can do their part. I mean, I change the way I, I shop when I go into the grocery store. You know, like there is one episode in which we tackle the palm oil industry. I didn't know this, but 75% of everything we buy in the grocery store has palm oil in it. Um, palm plantations have destroyed uh, dozens of countries in Asia, and now they're tackling the Amazon. It's easy to just put a stamp and say the palm oil industry is the villain. It's not just that, but there are ways of uh, producing, planting, treating, seeing palm as something sustainable. Uh, and now, nowadays, some of the most, um, I think, careful uh, palm plantations globally in the world are in the Amazon. So I went to some of those. Uh, I went to a mm. cocoa plantation that was really inspiring as well. Uh, so yeah, I feel like without the people in the Amazon, without the locals, we, we can't save the Amazon. It, it's an illusion. Um, it's very complex as well because there is this misconception that if we just turn the Amazon into this big reserve, mm. all of a sudden, um, we would save it. And it's not that easy because if you, you can't 
treat these communities, these millions of people as animals and not give them resources. It's a little too late for us to do that. So they're there. We already invaded their land. Uh, now we just need to allow them to survive. We need to give them tool, tools to, to survive in their own land. Mm. Just how hard was it to harvest that palm? There's a scene when you've got this shovel, you're trying to get it off. <laughs> it looks it looks like a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, look, uh, <laughs> I love being active, but I'm not really sporty. Uh, <laughs> what we what we considered uh, difficult in our everyday sort of gym life <laughs> is. I mean, when you get to the Amazon and when you're dealing with those people that are harvesting palm day in and day out, I mean, you realize how difficult the work really is. Uh, I'm a strong believer that as a journalist, I'm supposed to like walk in their shoes, no matter what the setting is. So I try to live like they lived as much as possible. Yeah. But it's tough, man. It's uh, it's really heavy, and yeah. they make it seem so easy, but it's not. I mean, everything with the illegal mining as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself claustrophobic, but going into those tunnels and yeah. lighting dynamite yeah. and having to run out, I mean, that's dangerous work. Those people are like breathing mercury. They're, it's a tough living. It's fascinating, and once again, it's eye-opening, but mm. it was a lot tougher than I expected. I mean, weeks yeah. without a toilet, mosquito bite, mosquitoes that will bite you through your jeans. You know, the food situation is complicated, food yeah. poisoning, um, but it was worth every minute. You do a really great job of um, taking the viewer with you. So I was, I was experiencing the Amazon with you, and I, I remember this scene where you're just sat on the boat, and it's just hammering with rain and, and fair play to you. Cause I would have just been miserable <laughs> in that situation, <laughs> just soaked through. And then, and then enjoying that experience where you have this fresh chocolate as well. I was almost, tell me how good that fresh chocolate was. I'm a chocolate lover. I've loved chocolate forever. Uh, mm. I think when I got to that farm, I, I mean, I ex expected to eat chocolate but i didn't expect the chocolate that i harvested and like a couple of hours later i cooked and tried mm -hmm. to taste better than the best chocolate pie i've ever tried in my life you know i think i was like well there is no butter and there is the, the type type of milk that they use and the chocolate we buy in the grocery store is not here it's gonna taste <laughs> you know more i don't know raw or I don't, I, I don't want to say organic, like it's a bad thing, but I didn't expect for it to taste just delicious, as delicious or more delicious than I would have in any fancy restaurant in New York City, you know, so there's something really rewarding about picking from the cocoa tree, trying it raw, roasting it, carrying it, having those conversations with those people, living that life for a couple of days, toasting it, and then actually trying it. It's, um, yeah, it, it's very different for you to try, for example, a pirarucu, which is the largest uh, freshwater fish in the world. And we caught 
you know, on the first episode, you see I, I go out and I catch a couple of them. It's very different to have that for dinner and just walking to a counter on your local grocery store and trying the fish. I think it has, it definitely has to do with the, the challenge and the, the reward that you actually did that. But mm. I think it just tastes different. I think it, it tastes like success. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I just want to say thank you for the, for the courage to go and, to go do these things and then share that with the world. I think, you know, it's amazing. And I think one of the real power, I love powerful words that you use and you said that you went there wanting to find hope and bring hope. And I guess let's just end on that. Where is your hope for the future of the Amazon? Oh man. Um, you know, I really feel like we're going through, uh, a wake-up call. Uh, right now, I'm uh, working on a different project, and I'm in the west coast of the United States. And the wildfires have just become, you know, an everyday type of thing. Like you're having breakfast, and you see smoke that is coming from a different city, sometimes a different state. Uh, we're talking about. Uh, thousands of people that have lost their homes in the past uh, months. Uh, the same thing has happened in Australia. The same thing has happened in Turkey. Uh, I just feel like we need to wake up to the fact that if we lose one third of the trees in this planet, uh, everything is on the line, you know, like, and I think there is a selfishness that we have and it's sort of like, it's too much work. This problem is too big. We can't do anything about it. We won't feel it in this generation. Maybe we'll have more hurricanes, but you know, we can still survive. But I think it's really selfish not to think about, you know, our kids and our grandkids. Um, and I think the Amazon is really symbolic of that. I think the Amazon represents a lot. Um, so yes, I guess once again, the hope that I found is in the fact that I think people now are starting to understand how urgent this is. I think people now are not shrugging their shoulders and for the most part are not like doubting climate change or not doubting global warming. Um, and I think it's important to say that as much as the show is about those big issues, you know, I don't think it's a professoral show. You know, I don't think it's a show that uh, sounds like a science experiment. Um, I think uh, my goal going down there was to fall in love with these people and sort of like connecting with them. Because a lot of times, you know, when you're talking about global warming or reading an article about environmental issues, it's just too distant and it's just hard for it to be relatable. It's not accessible. It's just... Uh, not human enough and I hope when people watch the show they connect to those voices and they uh, they understand how how either we do something now or we won't get a chance to do it again in the future and it sounds apocalyptic uh, but I feel like there's still time so if we all sort of do our part and sometimes doing your part is 
I don't know, sharing the show with other people is learning from the show and sharing what you've learned uh, with your kids. Uh, I don't think everyone should be an environmental activist. I don't think people should necessarily, you know, stop driving or stop taking planes or like take drastic, uh, I don't know, impose drastic transformations in their day to day because it just feels too hard and it feels like too much of uh, an inconvenience. But I do think there are small things we all can do that can play a big part, that can change everything. So I think that's where I find hope. And I find hope when I talk to people like you that have watched the show uh, with an open mind and that I think, I hope, had fun, but also understood the message. You know, I'm not preaching, I'm not pointing my finger at people, but I think uh, I'm brewing curiosity and awareness, if you will. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And uh, you definitely helped me learn a lot more, my friend. And, and and you told it through the stories of people, which is is absolutely what I love to hear. So thank you, my friend. Thank you for the time out of your day. I'd love to know what the phrase always better than yesterday inspires in you. Oh, man. Um, I love your questions because my, my response is always, oh, man, <laughs> because it makes me think, which is a good thing. Um, this. This is a cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've always been a glass half full type of guy, mm -hmm. always, uh, no matter, you know, how bad was the conflict that I was covering, no matter how sad was the story I was, I was telling. Um, but I do believe that by connecting with people, I think we're able to find hope and we're able to uh, help each other you know sometimes uh, I always say that traveling is much more than going from point a to point b you know you can travel by having a conversation like the one we're having you can travel by crossing the street and showing interest and in, I don't know the driver from your taxi um, so yeah I feel like what makes me feel like it's getting better it can get better is when we're able to connect and we're able to uh, respect each other's traumas and respect each other's pains and uh, root for each other's success. Uh, so that kind of human connection is what uh, makes me feel like tomorrow is better than today. Uh, I think that's what our focus should be. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. We'll make sure all your content and links to your show are in the show notes. And just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day, my friend. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was a pleasure. Hopefully, hopefully the first of many chats. Love it. There we go. Episode 143 with Pedro Andrade. I hope that's inspired you to go and check out Unknown Amazon on Vice TV. You can find the link within the show notes. Um, thank you for making it this far through the podcast. Thank you for getting to the end. I hope that this has inspired you in some way and left you a little bit better in your heart and in your mind in some way. If you are not part of our Facebook community, come over and join us on Facebook. Search We Are Always Better Than Yesterday. Over 700 like-hearted humans all around the world who all I ask is that you come as you are and I hope that you leave a little bit better. I always hope that time spent together in any way, whether it be this podcast or in the community, that it's always a good space of the internet and that you are better in some way as a result. 
Um, and I just, yeah, want to say thank you. I've been Ryan Hartley, the host of Always Better Than Yesterday. I always like to keep this a two-way conversation. So if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love it if you shared it with one person you'd love to inspire to. By all means, subscribe. By all means, leave me a review. Um, but most importantly, thank you and go have a great rest of your day. Always love, my friends. <laughs>